okay. Oh, that's better. Okay, young people, you may head out the back for Children's Church. Uh, dragging the mic along the floor here. The rest of us, we're going to open our Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We've been in this chapter for a little bit, and we're not going to quite finish it off today. We're going to get close. Um, but we're continuing on in this study in the book of Romans. And, you know, as we've gotten into chapter 12, you know, chap- chapter 12, there's, just, there's so much in this chapter. But, you know, we started out with the very familiar verses to all of us, Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we start out this chapter with the idea of presenting ourselves a living sacrifice to God, which of course would be different than the sacrifices of the Old Testament time that were a blood sacrifice, a death sacrifice. An animal would lose its life in order to be the sacrifice. And so, so Paul gives us this totally different uh, type of sacrifice. And then he moves right from that, if you remember, into a, a couple of verses here talking about uh, the fact that we need to live humbly. And remember, he did that right before he gives us this list of spiritual gifts. And right before the list of spiritual gifts, Paul encourages us in verse 3 not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. In other words, we should live humbly. And then as we moved in uh, to the next few verses, uh, we saw the gifts that Paul talks about starting in verse 6. We we saw the gifts talked about that we went through, prophecy, ministry, uh, teaching, exhortation, all that kind of stuff. We covered that, and, um, and that goes down in through to verse 8. And then that's where we're going to pick up today in verse 9. Now, it's interesting, after Paul has given us all these encouragements, given us these gifts to be used in ministry, then he suddenly shifts gears and he gives us several verses here on what a believer's love ought to look like. Now, I don't think that's by mistake, folks. I think Paul understood. I've just given you this list of gifts and told you to use them, basically. Go out here and and use the gifts that God has given you. But now as you go out to use those gifts, what is the proper way to do that? How should we be using our gifts? And what Paul does in just a few short verses here, he actually gives us 12 aspects of, of a believer's love. What should our love look like as we go out here to to use the gifts that God has given us? And so that's what we're going to see as we look into these verses. So so unlike a normal outline today, we're not going to have point one, A, B, C. We're going to have one through twelve. So it could be a really long, no it won't be. It won't be a real long message. But We're going to cover twelve aspects of a believer's love today. What should our love look like as we go out here into the world? Let's look at verse 9, the first half of the verse. It says, let love be without dissimulation. The word literally means without hypocrisy. In other words, let your love not be phony or put on. In other words, it also carries the idea of Let your love be sincere, not with a hidden agenda. You know, folks, we can actually love people because we want them to do something for us. You realize that, right? 
We, we love people sometimes with the wrong motive. We love them simply because we think they can do something for us. Why? Give me, give, let me give you a good example. Why do politicians always hug babies? Do they love all those babies? No. They don't love those babies. They don't even know those babies. Why do, they, why, do they, why do they grab up the babies all the time? They do that because they're hoping to get something from the parent of that baby, a vote. That's what they're hoping for. So they love on everybody's baby like it's their own grandchild, even though it's not. Why? Because so often in life, we love from a hypocritical viewpoint. We love with a hidden agenda. We love in a way that's not sincere. A hypocrite was actually uh, somebody that was two-faced. That's what the word means. It means it's like an actor. You have an actor that's one way in their real life and one way in their Hollywood or television life. They're two fa- they act one way here and one way here. And, and that's where the word comes from. It carries that idea. Of course, back then it wasn't television or Hollywood. It was, it was acting. People would act out plays and things like that. And so the hypocrite was somebody that had two faces. One face you could see and one face that was hidden. And so the first instruction that Paul gives us when it comes to loving as a believer how we should love in this world is don't be a hypocrite, is what he says. Be sincere. I don't know about you folks, but I've met people who are not sincere in their love. I have. There are people who are put on. You know, they put, they put on this lovey-dovey face and this lovey-dovey, you know, carry-on conversation. They don't really care about me. They're just, they're just a put-on. One of the things I so appreciate about our church is that people's love here is sincere. I appreciate that about our church. I hear from visitors all the time that I, I just felt like people cared about me. I hear that. And I appreciate that because it's not that way in every church. We understand that. But love must be sincere. That's point number one. Point number two today. Not only should love be sincere, notice what he says next in verse 9. He says, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Now, you might, immediately you might think in your mind, okay, we're talking about love, and now we have abhorring or hating something. Those two don't go together. Love and hate don't go together. So why are they in this verse? We're talking about all these aspects of love. So why do we have hate and love in, this, in the same passage here in the same verse? Well, think about it this way for just a moment. Though they don't seem to go together, think about this. When we love something or somebody, we will hate what comes against them. Will we not? I love my wife. I will defend my wife to the nth degree. Why? Because I love her. So if somebody comes firing from both barrels at the same time about my wife, I'm going to stick up for my wife. Why? Because I love her. That's how it should be, by the way, in a relationship. We ought to love our spouse enough to, to stand up for them. So I'm going to hate what comes against her. So when Paul's giving us this list of, of things with pertaining to love, notice what he says. He says, he says, abhor that which is evil. Now, you know, folks, there are things that we should not love. There are some things which we should abhor. Things that are evil. Proverbs chapter 8. Let's slip over there for just a second. Proverbs chapter 8. 
and verse 13 says this. It says, the fear of the Lord is to what? Hate evil. Isn't that interesting? The fear of the, to have a proper fear of God, to have God in His rightful place, high and lifted up, holy as He should be, that's how we should all be viewing God. We should view God as high and lifted up. To have that proper fear of God, that awe-inspiring fear of God, which I should have in my life, to have Him there, the beginning of that is to hate evil. Isn't that interesting? So we have to ask ourselves today, do I hate evil? Do I hate evil? Because it's two parts to this verse. It says to hate evil, abhor that which is evil, but cleave to that which is good. So I have to ask myself, if I'm going to show the proper love in my life that I should show as a believer to the world around me, to other believers, and to people out here in society that don't believe in the Lord, that I'm trying to win to the Lord, if I'm going to show them the proper love in my life, number one, I need to hate evil. I need to hate evil. But I also need to, when we get something out of our life, we get the evil out of our life, we need to put something in. You know, life is a vacuum, folks. If you put something out, something needs to fill the slot. So what fills the slot? If I'm going to hate evil, I need to grab hold to the word is cling. I mean, when I think of clinging, I just think of a little kid that just grabs you and won't let go. And cling to that which is good. What's good? God is good. So if I'm going to have the right kind of love in my life, I need to hate evil over here. And I need to cling to that, which is good. Joshua, all the way back in, back in the Old Testament, book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 23. Joshua chapter 23, starting verse 6, notice what it says. Joshua chapter 23 and verse 6. It says, but ye, be, excuse me, be therefore very courageous to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left, that ye come not among these nations, these these that remain among you, neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow yourselves unto them. So we're getting instruction here from Joshua as the nation of Israel is going into lands, conquering lands, and, and Joshua is here near, nearing the end of his life, and he's saying, listen, there are nations around you that serve other gods, that worship other gods. He, basically, don't, don't fall in line with that. He's giving advice. He says, don't go that way. And then we get down to verse 8. And here's what he says, but cleave, oh, there's that same kind of idea, cleave unto the Lord your God as ye have done unto this day. What does he say? He says, listen, cleave, cleave unto God. So we hate evil, and as believers, we should hate evil, folks, and we cleave unto God. We grab hold of God. That's what we should be doing. So point number two is love hates evil and clings to God. Point number three today, verse 10. Love is devoted to one another. Notice what he says. He says, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. Now, it's interesting. Paul in this passage, that, just that short half verse there, he uses two ideas that come from the family relationship. The family relation, two words, the kindly affectioned literally means devoted. It's natural affection for those that we are married to. It's, it's a natural devotion. 
I am devoted to my wife. My wife is devoted to me. It's the natural affection that's there because we love each other. And then the other words he uses is obviously the word we're familiar with, Philadelphia. It's it's the brotherly love. It's brotherly, sisterly love. The love that a brother and sister should feel for each other in that relationship. And so Paul says, listen, if you're going to love properly, you you need to have an affectionate, brotherly, sisterly love for each other. See, folks, that's what we should have for each other in the church. We ought to love each other. There are far too many churches that spend time squabbling with each other. We don't need to be squabbling with each other. we got much bigger things to be involved in. We don't need to be squabbling about color of carpet or the color on the wall or who's doing what this day or whatever. We don't need to squabble about all those things, but churches spend... So much energy and effort doing just that sometimes, don't they? People get all bent out of shape because it didn't go the way they wanted it to go. And so they, they squabble. should not be that way. Paul's saying, listen, if you're, if you're going to go out here and love the world like you should, you've got to love each other. There should be some level of brotherly, sisterly love, some level of affection like a husband would have for his wife. That's how we're to love in the body of Christ. And so, and so we need to bring that into this relationship, a, a love for each other. And it's interesting, I think, that Paul uses words that are words that pertain to families back in Bible times. What is the church? It's a family. It's a family. We should love and care for each other, have compassion for each other. We're going to cover that a little bit later, but we should have compassion. When somebody in this group hurts, we all ought to hurt because we ought to have that kind of love and compassion for each other. And I believe we do that, but we need to do that always. Number four, notice what he says in the second half of that verse, second half of verse 10. He says, in honor, preferring one another. You know, love in the family of God expresses itself in mutual honor and affection. In other words, I honor other people. I don't just bring honor to myself. Paul's already talked about not not building ourselves up in pride, not being proud, but but honoring others. Philippians uh, chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. It says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. In lowliness of mind, esteem others better than themselves. What does that mean? What that means, folks, is we put others first. We put others first. And... uh, you know, I think you see that a lot. Sorry, dads, I'm going to have to go against you on this one. I think you see that a lot with moms. Moms are good in the family situation at putting others first. Mom will sit down at dinner and there'll be one last piece of cake. And mom wants that piece of cake, but mom won't eat that piece of cake. Why? Because she's going to leave it for somebody else even though she'd really like to have it. Dad's just like, pass that cake. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm having that piece of cake. You know, Thanksgiving at our house this year, my, I asked my sister 
For years and years, my mom, when she was alive, would make a certain kind of cake with a certain type of frosting. And my sister and her family was coming up for Thanksgiving this year. And so I, I asked my sister, I said, Terry, would you make this cake that mom used to make? And she said, I'll do the best I can. She said, I've never been able to make it exactly right. But she said, I'll try. And so she made the cake. She couldn't get the frosting right. And somebody at work knew what type of frosting it was and actually made her the frosting to put on the cake to bring to me. <laughs> and, uh, but as Thanksgiving Day was going and people started eating that cake, it was running out. So, see, my wife would just say, if it runs out, it runs out. That's not what I said. I cut me a big hunk and put it in the cabinet <laughs> and put it away. Why? Because, because I don't think like a mom thinks. But, see, moms are good at this, right? We, we, moms, moms express that kind of love where they put others first, particularly in the family. You know, when I taught third grade, I, I loved it when I taught third grade. That, that, that's a great age to work with. But when I taught third grade, when I first got to the school there, my, my kids taught me some, some songs that they had sung in their different churches. And one of the songs my kids taught me was the song called Joy, Jesus and Others and You. What a wonderful way to spell joy. Put Jesus first place, others second, you in third, and that's how you spell joy. That's how the song goes. And you know what, folks? There's a lot of good doctrine in that song. <laughs> I mean, it's a kid's song, but there's a lot of good doctrine in that song. Jesus Christ ought to be first place in our life. And then not us, folks. We need to put others next. And then worry about ourselves. See, that's how you esteem others better than yourself. So number, number four here is love honors others. Number five. Number five, moving into verse 11. Notice what it says. It says, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now this one kind of takes in several thoughts here. The next two kind of take in several thoughts. Uh, I would entitle this one, Love Looks Outward, Inward, and Upward. Okay, that's how I'm going to title that. Love Looks Outward, Inward, <coughs> and Upward. The first one there where it says uh, not slothful in business is really um, in diligence, not lagging. In other words, diligently accomplishing the task at hand. That's what we should be doing. What we are called to do in our life, we should do it with diligence. What, is we, what are we as believers called to do in our life? We're called to serve the Lord. So we should serve the Lord in diligence. That's what we're saying here. Fervent in spirit carries the idea of something boiling and bubbling over. To, to have our intent and our heart set on the Spirit of God. Serving God to the point that it's bubbling over in our life. It's like boiling over in our life. We've all seen a pot boil over on the stove. That's how we should be in our Christian walk. We should be bubbling or boiling over in our walk with the Lord. That's what he's talking about in this passage. Love looks outward, inward, and upward towards the Lord. Serving God. Verse 12. We want to move along quickly here. Number 6. Love is joyful, patient, and faithful. Notice what verse 12 says. It says, rejoicing in hope. We'll stop there for just a second. Rejoicing in hope. As believers, we have a great hope, don't we, folks? We have the hope of spending eternity in heaven someday with our Lord. We sing the song. And listen, I hope, folks, when we sing songs out of the hymnal, I hope you just don't sing them to sing them. I hope you're listening to the words of the songs. We sing this song often. From our hymnal, my hope is built on nothing less than what? Than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. How does that song start? My hope is built on what? Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's where our hope is built on today, folks. And we have a hope. 
because of our salvation. But not only just having hope because of our salvation, but notice also patient, patient in tribulation. Now that's where it gets a little tough, doesn't it? We're not always patient in tribulation. Because tribulation is not something we enjoy. Tribulation, that word in the Scripture, when you see that word in the Scripture, it's literally talking about things being rubbed together, causing friction. You know, folks, when things get rubbed together and cause friction, it usually causes a problem. If you want to test that theory, go drain all the oil from your car today. And actually, drain it from your wife's car, because the red light will come on, and she won't even bother to tell you. And, uh, and eventually she'll say, I had to get back at the ladies. I already got the men. She'll say, you know, you'll say, I, got, I sat down in your car, and that little red light was, oh, yeah, it's been on for a month. <laughs> you know, that's what will happen. But, uh, but you'll, you'll find out what happens when there's friction if you drain the oil out of your car. Because there's going to come a point that friction is going to break something. It's probably going to break the rods in your car, and your car is not going to go. That's what the word tribulation in Scripture means. It's literally rubbing two things together, causing that pain, that friction, that breakage. That's what it's talking about. And what does he say here? He says we need to be patient in it. I find that difficult sometimes, folks. I'm just telling you. I don't know about you. But I find that difficult. It's not always easy to be patient in tribulation. Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter one. And starting in verse four says this. It says, So we ourselves glory in you, the churches of God, for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. Paul, writing to this church, said listen, he, he said, We're we glory in how patiently and faithfully you have worked your way through tribulation and persecution. Your, their church was being persecuted. And Paul said, you've been patient in it. You've endured it. Which is manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which also you suffer. Seeing it is righteous thing that God, of, with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. What is Paul saying? He says, listen, church, in, in Thessalonica, you have been persecuted. You have tribulation. You have endured it. And take good heart because what is going to happen at the end? God is going to give you what? Does verse 7 say? Rest. He says, those that have persecuted you, God is going to persecute. That's what verse 6 says. But verse 7 says, you are going to be given rest folks do you ever grow weary of trials in your life i mean i know some of y'all's backstories in here some of you have a lot of trials and struggles and sometimes they they just weigh on us they just burden us down and they just and they just it's like they just heap on our head time and time and time again but the fact of the matter is folks if we patiently work our way through those tribulations, there's coming a day, it says, when Jesus Christ returns with his angels, that we are going to find rest. What a great encouragement. 
But Paul says, Paul, now remember, this passage is about loving each other the way we should. Paul's saying, listen, if you, if you want to love like you should, he, sa- he says in this, in this particular part of the passage, he says you're going to have to endure tribulation. And then he says, notice what he says in the last thing, continuing instant in prayer. You know, folks, very simply, the Scripture tells us to pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. And what does Paul say here? He says, listen, he says, he says if you're going to love the right way, you, you need to spend some time in prayer. And I don't know about you folks, but I struggle with that sometimes. I struggle with prayer sometimes because it seems like, and I've talked to other people that feel the same way, as soon as you start to pray, Satan just throws all kinds of thoughts in your mind about what's going on in the day, what you've got to get accomplished, what you should be doing instead of praying. And, and it's just like, it's just like you, you, you want to pray, and it's like, it's like all of a sudden all this stuff just floods your mind that has nothing to do with what you want to pray about. And I struggle with that sometimes. I know I've talked to others that do as well. But what Paul says is, listen, if you want to show love like you should out here in the world, you need, you need to pray. You need to pray and be fervent in prayer, instant in prayer. Number seven. Moving into verse 13, love is, we'll just use the word generous. Generous. Notice what it says. It says distributing to the necessity of saints. Love is generous. Now, the word there actually can mean one of two things, and I would say it probably means both. It can mean, number one, sharing in another's need or suffering. In other words, we, we suffer with them. They're hurting, we hurt with them. They're, they're needy, we're, in, we're needy with them. It can mean that, or it can also mean sharing out of our resources. So in other words, sometimes we just need to share in their suffering. Sometimes somebody's discouraged, folks. You know what we need to do? We need to put our arm around them, and we just need to sit there and, and pray with them and hold them and let them know we care about them. Sometimes that's what they need. But sometimes, folks, people need us to share out of our resources. Somebody may need a little money. Somebody may need some help moving something. Somebody may need this. They may need that. We don't know whatever the case is, but that word can literally mean both ways. It can mean simply just sharing, having compassion, helping another brother, or it can mean literally helping out of our resources, whatever they may be. Some of us have resources. Uh, we, are, we are strong enough to do things. We can lift things, move things. Some, some of us have financial resources. We're able to help financially with things. It's whatever it means to you, whatever this passage, whatever God's calling you to do, but he's saying love, love is generous. Love is generous. And then the second half of that verse, love is hospitable. Notice what it says, 13b, simply given to hospitality. Given to hospitality. You know, as believers, folks, we should not just practice hospitality, but we should pursue it. We should look for opportunities to be hospitable to people. You know, hospitality was very important in Bible times because, you know, back in Bible times, you didn't go to the Holiday Inn Express if you were traveling. You didn't go. There were very few inns. I mean, we, of course, we hear of the Jesus' birth that was full, but there were not a lot of inns back in those days. It was especially believers and especially the leaders were press. Look for opportunities to be hospitable. And so Paul's saying, listen, if you want to love like we should in this world, you need to, it may be whatever, you know, whatever the Lord's called us to do. But we can find ways to be hospitable. Maybe it's making a meal for somebody who needs a meal. 
Maybe it's whatever. You, you plug in whatever God's calling you to do there, but we need to be hospitable. Paul says this is one of the characteristics. If you're going to show love like you should in this world, is we need to be hospitable. Number nine. Number nine, moving into verse 14. And here's a tough one sometimes, folks. I'll be honest. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. What is he saying? He, say, he says love gives blessings, not cursing. That's what he's saying. Love gives blessing, not cursings. But he specifically says to love those that persecute you. Now, folks, you don't need to tell me who it is, but I want you to picture in your mind right now that person who just grits on you like coarse sandpaper. And hopefully it's not your spouse. <laughs> but you think about that person who just gets on your nerves. Just, they're just always right there on that nerve like it's exposed, just just grits on your nerves, and what, is, what, is we, what are we supposed to do and how are we supposed to react to them? We're supposed to love them. We're supposed to love them. Bless them, not curse them. That's hard sometimes. But that's how a believer shows God's love to the world around him. He's able to bless those which persecute him. It's tough, but it's what we need to do. You know, all Paul's doing there really is just echoing the teachings of Christ. <laughs> Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 and verse 27 says this. It says, but I say unto you, this is Jesus speaking. If you have a Bible that has Jesus' words in red letters, in red, this is red, this is Jesus speaking. It says, but I say unto you, which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. Wow. That's a tough list, folks. I mean, he's talking about people that are, that are not just people that get on our nerves, but people who are actually poised themselves against us. They're our enemies. They're people that, that, that hate us. They're people that would curse us. They're people that would try to use us some way to their benefit. And what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to love them. We're supposed to love them if we're going to show the right kind of love that we should be showing to the world around us. Number 10, verse 15. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. This is where I was talking about earlier about compassion. Having compassion. When somebody in our group is suffering and hurting, it's hurting with them. But when they're on the mountaintop, folks, it's rejoicing with them. When we share praise items on Wednesday night, when somebody shares a blessing, we can rejoice together. When somebody's had an answered prayer, we rejoice with them when they're on the mountaintop. But when they're hurting folks and need prayer desperately, we hurt with them. You know, it's interesting if you look in the New Testament, not in the New Testament, excuse me, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the word compassion is used 14 times in the Gospels. Do you know nine of those 14, it's a verse that says Jesus having compassion on somebody. Nine of 14 times. It's Jesus having compassion on somebody else. We are to have compassion. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36, talking about Jesus said, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Number 11, love is shown in harmonious living. Notice verse 16, the first half of the verse. It says, be of the same mind one toward another. The verse literally means, if you read it in the Greek, 
Think the same way as others think. Think towards each other the same way. It's living harmoniously with each other. And then finally, number 12, and we're out of time, the second half of that verse. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Paul goes back to the idea of humility. Be humble. Be humble. Now, folks, these are just a few verses, verses 9 to 16. But in them, in them, Paul has given us a phenomenal summary of the kind of love believers are to show to each other and to the world around us. And I'll tell you what, folks, if we would do this, if we would show this kind of love, this kind of compassion to, the, to our brothers and sisters in Christ and the world around us, we could turn the world upside down. It would be amazing what we could do if we just take these 12 principles that Paul has given us and put them into practice in our life. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed as we come to the end of the message. Not, not a fancy outline today, folks, at, at all. Just simple 12 points. But are we showing love as a believer should? Are we demonstrating to others the love of Christ as we should? Hopefully we are. But if not, maybe there's a point or two there we're struggling with. That's when maybe we need to spend some time in prayer doing business with God. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm just going to ask Elizabeth to play through a verse of a song. And uh, maybe you just need to sit back down in your pew and spend some time in prayer. Maybe you need to come to the altar. The altar's open. You can spend some time in prayer. But we'll wait just a moment. But folks, are we showing the love of Christ in our life as we should?